Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon and this uh, wonderful Wednesday here. Chol HaMoyed Sukkot. It is the intermediate days of Sukkot. We're in the time of Zman Simchatenu, the festival of our Simcha, and the time of our joy, and uh, building up to perhaps three days that are maybe least understood in all of Judaism, um, and that is that perhaps they are understood, but on a very superficial level, and we don't really contemplate or think about the depth that each one of these special days coming up over this coming weekend, that they actually stand for what they're truly all about. So perhaps as we spend time today in uh, our program of Judaism 101.9 here with Rabbi Michael Katz, perhaps we will investigate a little bit deeper some of the layers of depth that pertain to the upcoming three special days on Friday, on Shabbat, and on Sunday of this coming weekend. To put the terms to them, what are they called? Well, these last three days of the entire festive period, and it all began, of course, with Rosh Hashanah, and then we had Yom Kippur, and then we had Sukkot, and now coming to the end of Sukkot, we have three culminating days, the day of Hoshana Rabbah, which effectively is the last day of Sukkot, of Sukkot, and that is Friday. We then have Shmini Atzeret, which is a new Chag, a new festival all of its own. It is an addendum, in a way, to Sukkot, and very often kind of uh, lumped together, um, if you wish, with Sukkot, with Sukkot and its celebration. But in effect, if you look at it carefully, it is a Chag, a festival all of its own. It's got its own name. It's got its own uh, proclamation. We talk about Shmini Atzeret. That is the eighth day. So there's the link. It's called the eighth day, Shmini, but it is a Chag. It is a festival all of its own. We say the Bracha Shechiyanu at the beginning of that festival, both on our Kiddush as well as on candle lighting. And then, of course, Simchat Torah, Simchas Torah, which will be on Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday. And how these three special dates actually interface is uh, quite fascinating in and of themselves. There is a certain synchronicity between them, but there is an individual personality that each one of these dates and days actually carries and actually has. And we kind of look at them in a lump, in a lump sum that we say, well, um, this is the end of Sukkot. And so what are we at the end of Sukkot? Well, we sing and we dance and we um, take out the Torahs and kids get chocolates at shul and guys have a l'chaim and that's the event. But there is so much more to it than that. And perhaps let's delve just a little bit deeper into Hoshana Rabbah, Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, these most important, beautiful and powerful days that we actually are about to celebrate. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Let's explore Hoshana Rabbah first. Hoshana Rabbah means literally 
the numerous or multitude of Hoshanas. What is Hoshana Rabbah? Well, if we take the word Hoshana, Hoshana means from the word of salvation. This is big salvation time. What are we talking about? Well, each day of Sukkot, for those of you who know, each day of Sukkot, there is a procession that takes place in Shul. That's with the exception of Shabbat. On Shabbat, we don't take the Lulav and Etrog. But for the duration of Sukkot each day, we do a ceremony in the Shul where we circle around the Torah. The Torah is at the center. It is held at the Bima, at the central point of the Shul. And we do circuits. A circuit is done each day saying some very, very um, interesting words about Hoshana. We're talking about various different attitudes and attributes of spiritual salvation. And when we think about that, we're talking about the um, real, perhaps, deeper meaning of the Chag, of the festival of Sukkot. What do we do? We take the Lulav, the Etrog, the Hadassim, and the Arava. We take the four species that are specifically mentioned in the Torah itself. We hold them together, and there are many who would take the posture of holding it close to the heart. They are held together close to one's heart, holding them um, cuddling them, coupling them, bringing them together close to the heart and using um, those four species as a, um, a driving force, perhaps, and a mechanism from a spiritual point of view to circling around the Torah. And we do that each day in a single circuit. When it comes to Hoshana Rabbah, we do seven circuits, which kind of repeats all the six that we had before, and then there is an, an additional one that is said for the seventh day. But we do seven circuits. Now, when we think about these circuits, what are we actually doing when we walk around the Bima and walk around the Torah? Well, first of all, it's an essential ingredient in the whole thing to know that the Torah is at the center of it all. Now, yes, we know that our Torah is at the center of everything to do with Jewish life. Our Torah it's learning, it's understanding, it's mitzvot, everything that it stands for is really the essence, the center of our lives. And one of the things that we are doing with the Lulav and Etrog Hadassim and Arovis is that we are walking around, going around, circling the Torah. The Torah is the essence, the Torah is this um, anchor, and we are the players moving around that Torah, and perhaps there's a symbol just in that. But there is so much more to this action of Hoshanas than meets the eye. If we take a look at the whole concept of the four species that we have spoken about, that we use on Sukkot, each one of them stands for or symbolizes different types of people. We are looking at the Etrog, which has both fragrance as well as taste. We have the date palm, the palm branch, which has taste but no fragrance. We have the myrtle, which has fragrance but no, um, but but no, um, which has sorry, the date palm, which has taste but no fragrance. The myrtle, which has fragrance but no taste, and then finally the arava, the willow, which has neither of the above. And we're actually there saying that hey. This is symbolic, in a way, 
of different strata, different levels from a spiritual point of view of Jews, of people, of our friends, our relatives, our community members, etc. There are some who have Torah and mitzvot. There are some who have only Torah. There are some who have only mitzvot. And there are some who have neither of the two. But each one of them is bound up in this heartfelt prayer, in this heartfelt feeling of coming together and understanding that only when we are really, truly united, when we come together as one, when we all move in the same direction, when we are moving in a circle around our Torah, when we know what the essential actually is and that all of our Jewish lives revolves around that, well, then we can come together and be united in the most incredibly powerful fashion. And it's in this kind of circling and dance um, that we kind of get to the essence of what the Hoshana ceremony is really all about. I'd like you to reflect a little bit, if you can, to a wedding. If you have been to a wedding lately or if you've been to one in the past, think of what happens under the chuppah. Under the chuppah, the chosen, the groom, stands in the center the bride is brought to the chuppah, and if we are doing this correctly, there is an age-old tradition that she walks around the groom. Now, that walking around the groom is not to try and make her dizzy or make her trip on her veil. That is actually a very deeply profound and beautiful spiritual um, um, action of the bride circling, not only casting, as the rabbis like to say, she's kind of... Uh, mapping out her turf, her home, and uh, saying that she is casting her spiritual energy in all directions. Well, there is part of that that is very, very essential to this all, because we talk about seven different attributes. There are seven different attributes or attitudes or emotions, and we are centering them around the uh, marriage that is taking place, husband and wife in the center, and she is actually in this action circling that neighbor, that, that, that environment, that, that neighborhood, she's circling that environment, environment of the home, and saying that each one of the beautiful attributes of chesed, of kindness, of um, tiferet, of malchus, and so on, all these beautiful attributes that each soul is gifted with are going to pervade everything in the home and they're going to be the mark of this home and they're going to be the rubber stamp of this home. And neither one of them is more important than the other, but it is actually all seven coming together. And in a way, we have a similar kind of a unified unity and sort of, let's call it, preparatory wedding dance that we do on Hoshana Rabbah. We, too, walk around, starting each day of Sukkot, going round and round and round, each day uh, making a circuit, and finally on Hoshana Rabbah with the seven circuits that we actually make on Hoshana Rabbah with our Lulav and Etrog, our Hadassim and our Rovas. We, too, have been, in a way, in a type of a... Marriage service or ceremony. If we think about it and we go back to our entire practice of Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur and Sukkot, well, in effect, many have compared it to the re, the re, uh, re-establishment of the vows of the Jewish people 
to God and God to us. On Rosh Hashanah, we proclaimed God as king. It was almost as though that was the day of the proclamation that the wedding would take place. Then Yom Kippur, and on Yom Kippur we had the fast, and you know that the bride and groom fasts as well, and then we had five different uh, um, uh, dimensions to the day. There was uh, the Mayriv service called Nidre, uh, precedes Mayriv, Mayriv service, then there is Shachrit, and then Musaf, and then Mincha, and then Neila. There are five services that take place for the duration of um, Yom Kippur, and we finally go into Yechida, which is similar to the concept of taking a bride and groom after four stages of their chuppah and putting them into a private room where now they are just alone, and that is a real establishment of this marriage. This, in fact, is what we have done. And then we have a week of Sheva Brachas. We go into the Sukkah and we sit and we say Lachayim and we are together with our families and so on. And then finally we have this last dance, the dance that takes place on Oshana Rabbah. But there is much more to it than that. And we'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, yes, and welcome back. It's uh, talking about Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day of Sukkot, which is called Hoshana Rabbah, is also considered as the final day of divine judgment. Now, why is this? The Midrash tells us, um, in fact, that Hashem told Avraham Avinu, he told Abraham, if atonement is not granted to your children on the Rosh Hashanah, I will grant it on Yom Kippur, if they do not attain Atonement on Yom Kippur, it will be given on Hoshana Rabbah. This is what the Midrash says. And if we take a look at the book of Isaiah, Yeshayahu, in uh, chapter 58, it says, They seek me day after day. And here, the Talmud Yerushalmi explains, the Talmud explains that these two days, they seek me day after day, these two days, refer to the day when the shofar is sounded, which was Rosh Hashanah, and the day when we take the willow, which is Hoshana Rabbah, the day when the heavenly judgment begins and the day when it concludes. So Hoshana Rabbah is kind of the final seal. It is the final token of the uh, judgment that began on Rosh Hashanah. So exactly then, three weeks later, we have gone through a three-week process of this Yom Hadin <coughs> judgment that we began on Rosh Hashanah with one kind of a mode of repentance, of tshuva. We then had Yom Kippur, or the 10 days of repentance rather first, where there was this mode of uh, tshuva, of repentance. We had Yom Kippur, where <coughs> we have the exoneration, the washing clean, the cleansing of the slate, the uh, whiteness that is returned and, and granted to all our sins and so on, where everything is turned around and made good. And then a different element of teshuva, of repentance, is getting back to where we should be as far as our simcha is concerned. Simcha being the real mainstay of Judaism and of Jewish life. In fact, we're told time and time and time again uh, that our service of God needs to be the simcha. If du et Hashem, the simcha. Simcha is 
uh, joy, happiness, a positive attitude. This really has to pervade everything else. Now, it's very often to muster up that simcha element, but in fact, that is what the festival of Sukkot is really all about. Zman simchatenu. And what do we do? We go outside, we go into a sukkah, we kind of have this classical equalizer where <coughs> the rich and the poor, everybody is equalized, where everybody's on the same level, where we are all, each and every one of us, subject to the elements. And the elements are made up of two major players. There is the major player of the sun, and there's the major player of the rain. And haven't we been visited by those things um, in an, a, an incredible fashion? It, it, even if we think about it for this, over this year, if we look outside even today, there is a kind of a strange interweaving or a mix of sun and rain. But do you know that when we think about the sukkah itself, there is also this interweaving of the sun and the rain. If we think about the schach, which is the uh, branches that we need to have on the top of our sukkah, the main element of the sukkah, in fact, there are two very, very different instructions when it comes to sun and rain. Think about it. The sukkah has to be made in such a way whereby we are shading ourselves from the sun. So the sun is one of the instructions when it comes to the schach on sukkah, on sukkot, with our sukkah, the schach, the roof has to be made in such a way whereby it protects us from the sun. And in fact, there needs to be less sunlight than there is shade. There's got to be more shade than sun. So there's an instruction that pertains to the sun. There, interestingly enough, is also an instruction that pertains to the rain. When we think about the schach of sukkah, we're told that the schach cannot be that thick that it doesn't allow the raindrops to fall through. Now, everybody's been caught of course, at some stage in the sukkah and the rain starts coming through and you feel those little drip drops that uh, come then uh, through the schach and eventually comes uh, torrenting down in some places in the sukkah um, and not in others where it's better protected. We know that the, uh, the schach is dictated by its affinity with or its protection against the, uh, the sun and its affinity with or its protection against the rain. And in fact, if we think about it, when we take a look at nature, isn't this perhaps the way that on a deeper level nature is actually divided? There are certain elements of nature <clears throat> that are like the sun. In other words, they are regular. You can bank on it that the sun is going to come up in the morning. In fact, you can get any app. You can take a look at any uh, program or whatever. We know what time sunrise will be tomorrow morning and the morning thereafter and so on. And same thing with sunset. The sun will come up in the morning. It may at times be hidden by the clouds, but it will be there. It will come up in the morning and you can bank on it. It is for sure. Can you tell when it's going to rain? Even the uh, people who claim that they can tell when it's going to rain get it all wrong, as we've seen so many times, particularly perhaps over this last week even here in Joburg, that um, they can't accurately predict the rainfall. So now it's a different element of connection that the sukkah brings to us. There is a connection, of course, to nature. And we often think about nature as being kind of the regularity of nature. Now, there's an irregularity to nature as well. There is a part of nature that is unpredictable. 
And a Jew sitting in the sukkah has to place himself or herself in the position whereby we are completely at the mercy of God's regular blessings and God's regular parts of nature and the irregular stuff, the stuff that comes about when we least expected it, the things that are not that predictable. We know and we believe that they all come from the Almighty. They all come from God. They're all part of God's blessings. And in fact, it's the festival of Sukkot where the judgment that is finalized has a lot to do with rainfall because rainfall is something that we certainly cannot live without. Um, you think about it. It is reported everywhere um, how uh, the dams are filling up because there's been some good rains in the Cape and so on. We think about it in terms of Israel, where um, when it rains and the Kinneret is full, it is a sign of uh, great things because that is the feeder, the water system of the entire land of Israel and then some that branches out to some of the other countries there as well that surround and aren't always um, mentioned as uh, getting their water directly from this amazing water system and strange and interesting water system, which all is dependent totally on rainfall. And if we think about the concept of rainfall, it is so important that there is a defined and clear judgment of good rains that are going to be able to be in their right time and so on that will provide us with all the bounty, all the wonderful things that we need for the coming year, this is all finalized for us over the festival of Sukkot. There is only one reason we postpone the uh, um, the, the prayers, the actual begging God for rain till after Sukkot is because otherwise people wouldn't be able to sit in the sukkah and they wouldn't want to and they would say, well, it's like a contradiction and I'm saying an insincere prayer perhaps. Um, we're begging God for rain, but I hope that it doesn't rain because I've got guests in the sukkah tonight and so on. So it's postponed until after Sukkot takes place on Shmini Atzeret that will be on Shabbat. Um, but when we think about the um, incredible idea and ideal behind the sukkah, it is this ad idem kind of feeling that we have with nature, with an understanding of the depth of godliness behind the things that are predictable and the unpredictable. And then, of course, the coming together as we do in a sukkah. And we often speak about God's embrace, the way that God embraces us in the sukkah, that he puts his arms around us. And we know that the arms are the walls of the sukkah that embrace us and each of us taking the different types of people and bringing them together in unity, well, this is something to dance about. This is something to be happy about. This promotes simcha. You know, when you have no doubt and when you have no questions and when you know where you're going and you know what the meaning is of your life and your purpose in this world and so on, and you know that everything comes from the Almighty, well, it is then a natural sequitur that we can be basimcha, that we can be joyous, that we can be happy. That's what happiness actually is, a freedom from all the things that uh, the gremlins are getting to our heads and drive us crazy and make us not the people that we would really like to be or to say or do the things that we wouldn't want to do. This is the incredible power of the sukkah of these days and building up and culminating on Hoshana Rabbah, where the final decisions are sealed completely, the ones that were made for our good stead on Rosh Hashanah and then ratified on Yom Kippur, Hoshana Rabbah is the last day of appeal. And how do we appeal? We appeal to God in several ways. Yes, there are many who stay up on uh, Hoshana Rabbah learning Torah throughout the night. Then, of course, 
there is the idea of the uh, service that we uh, spoke about before of circling the bima and showing our absolute unity and kind of getting into a dance mode whereby we're going around seven times and of course reminiscent of course of a marriage as well and then there is an interesting ceremony that takes place which is as it's called the day of the willow where we take in addition to our four species we take willow branches and in fact strangely enough while it commemorates the willow ceremony in the Beit HaMikdash in the temple where we're told that large 18 foot willow branches set around the altar every day of Sukkot, we actually use the a small willow in our lulav every day going around the bima. <clears throat> but on Oshana Rabbah, we take branches, and usually the tradition is to take five branches, and during the ceremony that we hold them at the end of the Hoshana service, we beat them on the ground five times, and this is said, it symbolizes the tempering of the five measures of harshness. So we know that sometimes, yes, even when it rains, it can rain in a harsh fashion. And sometimes blessings come to us in ways that we do not recognize. And sometimes things come against us in a harsh and a difficult way for us to stomach. But in fact, all of it is ultimately good. And we are happy. We are joyous. We are basimcha. We are going to dance. We're going to be happy, even though we want to temper the um, uh, the the measures of harshness. We certainly want to get ourselves much more into the atmosphere and the feeling of simcha. So that is Hoshana Rabbah on Friday. This preempts the last two days of the uh, festive period, which is Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Now Shmini Atzeret, what is this all about? Well, you can be forgiven for asking that question because famously. We're told that this question was asked of the great sage Hillel. And yes, it's often interpreted in one way, but I'd like to give you an interpretation in another way. It is, to, we're told, that a heathen, a person who uh, was perhaps trying to make fun, came to Hillel, the great sage, and said to him, please teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. And of course, he said to him, don't do unto others as you wouldn't have them do but to you, you, all the rest is commentary. Go now and learn. We're told that he became a great sage. Uh, thereafter, himself, um, he was inspired by these words of the great sage Hillel. But in fact, we're told, if we look a little bit deeper, that in fact what he was asking was, please teach me the whole Torah, not while I stand on one foot, but al regel achat. I want you to teach me the whole Torah about one regel. What's a regel? A regel is a leg, but a regal is also, or a foot, but a regal is also one of the regalim. The regalim, the regular, there's the word regular, regal, you get it? Regular festivals that occur uh, during our calendar year. And one of them is the regal or the festival. Let's transpose the word festival for regal. He wanted to know about the regal of Shmini Atzeret. What is this festival all about? I understand he would have said, about Sukkot. I get the concept of Pesach. I know what you're doing, Shavuot, but I don't understand what Shmini Atzeret is all about. And what did Hillel respond to him? Don't do unto others as you would not have them do unto you. Avat Israel, love your fellow man as yourself. Is this not what this festival is actually all about? And as our sage, great sage and commentator Rashi tells us, God says to the Jewish people, 
people. You've been with me now over the last few weeks. We've had such a great time together. We've enjoyed everything together. We've been so close. You've been absolutely together with me. We've celebrated this wedding, this feast, this celebration in the most wonderful way. Now all I'm asking you for is please let's have one more dance. Let's have one more moment together. Please grant me this last wish. Let's have one day longer that we can spend together. And that, in fact, is Shmini Atzeret on this coming Shabbat. Back with you after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, Rabbi Michael Katz here, back with you with Judaism 101.9. Great to be in your company again this afternoon and wonderful to be talking about these last special dates and days, these last of the Chagim coming up over this beautiful, beautiful time of Tishrei, the month of Tishrei, so filled as it is with festivals. Festivals of all types and all shapes and all sizes, Rosh Hashanah and your Kippur and Sukkot, and then coming up to Hoshana Rabbah on Friday, Shmini Atzeret on Shabbat, and Simchat Torah on Sunday. When we come to Shmini Atzeret, we say the special prayer for uh, rain that takes place on Shabbat, and then that is immediately followed by the Simcha of Simchat Torah. And the Simcha of Simchat Torah takes place takes place, of course, on a Sunday night, Saturday night and Sunday. And the idea of Simchat Torah is, of course, that we come once again back to our Torah. The idea of the Torah being the center of everything. But here, what we do instead of circling the Torah is we move in, we pick up the Torah and we dance with it. Now, there are going to be certain protocols and certain restrictions in every shul um, according to their particular way of uh, uh, sorting out these uh, uh, things for this COVID-19 year, for this time of social distancing and not touching the Torahs and so on. And uh, what we've got to remember is that even if you may not um, get to actually pick up a Torah and to dance with it, still the Torahs are dancing. The Torahs are joining us and we become, as we're told, the legs of those Torahs. We give them legs. We give them the ability that the Torah itself can celebrate, that it itself can dance, that it itself can be caught up in this special Simcha of Simcha Torah. And what is the Simcha? Well, we are completing the reading of the Torah. We come to the last uh, chapter, if you wish, the last paragraph. Growth and then eventually the last line and the last word of the Torah. And by the way, do you know what the last word of the Torah actually is? Many people know that the first word of the Torah is Bereshit in the beginning. Do, does everybody know what the last word of the Torah is? Well, I'll tell you. It is the word Israel. 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 Israel are the last three words of the Torah. And there we come to the end of it. And the word Israel not only stands for Yeshishim Ribu Otiot La Torah, that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah, that each Jew is represented by a letter in the Torah, but that in fact, when we think about the idea of Yisrael, we immediately couple it with Breshit. We go right away and we start reading Breshit. So we finish off the reading of the Torah and we begin anew. Another cycle of reading the Torah again. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes the fact that our Torah never ends. It symbolizes the fact that the Torah prophetically or uh, 
prominently is rolled around. It is around a circle. It keeps on going. You never reach the end of Torah learning. You never reach the end of Torah practice. The Torah is something that is essential to our lives, but it is a gift that keeps on giving. It continues to be um, uh, re-read uh, and relearned and restructured into our lives and recalculated into the way that we perform and we do everything. This is what the Torah actually represents to us, particularly when it comes to Simchat Torah. So we dance with the Torah and we read those last and first parts of the Torah. In fact, it is on Simchat Torah that three Torahs are taken out of the Oran Kodesh, out of the Ark, and we read from three Torahs. The first one, we read the end of the book of Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, in the second one, we read Breshit, the beginning of the book of Genesis. And in the third one, we read the portion that has to do with Shmini Atzeret, and, of course, then by uh, relationship, Simchat Torah as well, that is read from the third of those three Torahs. It is a great and wondrous and beautiful event. There is a deep and profound Simcha that needs to pervade us all, whether we are in shul, whether we are not in shul, whether we're participating in the dancing, whether we're not, whether we're holding the Torah or not. It is something very, very powerful. Be back to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So what lies at the core of all of these days that are coming up? I think it is summed up in one word, simcha. Simcha being joy. Celebration. Now, there are those who say, well, it's not going to be the same. Uh, we don't have the same kind of uh, feeling about Simchat Torah and about Hoshana Rabbah, Shmini Atzeret, as we usually do. This, uh, it's been robbed from us. It's been taken from us. And perhaps if we just revisit that for a moment and think about what is true Simcha? Is true Simcha, is true joy when you have had a lot to eat and drink and you are in the company of your friends and therefore you can uh, really feel um, uh, that you can proverbially let your hair down and um, kind of be a, uh, a real dancing and in, enjoying kind of an individual? Or is it perhaps something deeper than that? Is it not perhaps something that needs to come a lot more from within? Well, we're driven to that this year. We need to find within ourselves the ability to be the simcha, to be happy from within. And we've had a lot of training. Yes, it's been six or seven long months in which we've had training in seeing how to appreciate the uh, smaller things in life and how to appreciate the important things in life and how to understand um, with a depth what is really, really um, going to make us tick and make us dance and make us happy. And here we have the opportunity to once again come together, even if we're apart, on Simchat Torah, to be really, truly happy. Happy that we have a Torah. Happy that we have something that guides us. Happy that we are uh, blessed with the privilege of being able to be Jewish. Blessed with the privilege of being able to be close to the Almighty. Blessed with the privilege that we're able to uh, partake in God's mitzvot. That we're able to be part of everything that God created this world for. It is an incredible reason to get ourselves up and to dance, even if we're dancing at home, and even if it's just with your family, and even if it's just with the immediate beloveds that are right next to you, and even if it's alone. The ability 
to be besimcha, to be joyous and to have a positive attitude doesn't necessarily mean that we can only do that with people on top of us. Yes, there's a certain element of unity that uh, of simcha that unity brings. There's a certain element of unity that simcha brings. But at the same time, to recognize and realize that we can and we need to be happy, that we need to be besimcha, that we need to have a positive attitude, as tough as it may seem from the outside. This is something that we need to muster up from the inside, from within ourselves, and have a different kind of simcha over the next few days. And hopefully this will be the the ultimate of simchas, where we access the real depth of joy within our own hearts and within our own souls, and that we can bring it to the fore and we can bring it out, and we can make it so uh, ready and so available and so beautiful to combine us all in a true dance around the Torah, and a true dance that hopefully will dance us all the way out of this exile with the ultimate bracha that Hashem has in store for all of us, the coming of Mashiach. May it come speedily in our time. I want to wish you a great rest of the Chag, a great Chag coming up, a good Yom Tov for these days that lie ahead. And I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.